Good morning, everybody. It's Brian Horning and Reginald Andre with the Security Squawk Podcast. Welcome to another episode. I think this is like episode 37, right? Yep. 37 already? Wow. Yeah. And we're almost going to have a, a year under our belt pretty soon here. I yeah. Don't know. So it's the it's the podcast. Uh, you're watching the live recording of our podcast. We do upload this to all your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, but you are watching the live recording today. And every time that we do a show, we record it live on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, and we thank you for your support. Uh, make sure you download us uh, on your favorite platforms. I think we're on like Amazon, uh, what, what, Audible. We're on Audible. We're on Google Podcasts. We are on iTunes. We are on uh, iHeartRadio. We're on like we're on every single one that you could possibly imagine. Um, download us there. Share us out to your friends and family if you learn anything on this show. That's all we ask. It's the only fee that we charge to bring you insight and information around cybersecurity and how it impacts you as an employee of a business and also as a business owner. I mean, we break it down to a lot of different levels on this show. Uh, and without further ado, welcome. And uh, you had a good weekend, right? It's So we made it through Labor Day weekend without a major yes. attack in the news, right? Right, right. Although I did take my laptop just in case ready to, to help out or, or monitor situations. Now that's funny. Um, so I predicted that nothing would happen over the weekend. Um, I predicted it that I predicted on the podcast last week, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did say it. And I predicted it on my YouTube channel. Uh, I threw out a video on Friday where I said, um, you know, will I, the, the title of it was, will something happen? It's the same thing I did over July 4th. Uh, but over July 4th, I was significantly more confident that something was about to go down um, based on, just my observation of what I see on the dark web, which I tend to frequent a lot doing security research. Um, and this time around, I just didn't feel like it, it was, it was anything was going on. There's, there's definitely a bigger retooling phase happening right now. Um, I don't know what that means, um, but there's, a bigger retooling phase going on right now than what we've typically seen in the past. Um, and what I mean by that is simply ransomware groups are, are breaking up left and right and they're disappearing and they're kind of coming back, but they're, they're coming back in, in not the normal ways. And then we have this one group out here, uh, this Ragnar who's basically, now they're basically coming out and threatening people and, and basically saying, if you go to the authorities, we're going to do all this other bad stuff to you. It's, mm. you know, it's not going to be just ransomware and asking for, you know, money from you. Um, they're going to, they're going to take it up a notch. So that, so they say, so it's, it's the cyber criminal world is getting interesting to say the least, but we'll dive into that in the show. The important thing is, is you had a nice, restful and relaxing weekend, just like yeah. I did. Um, and we cherished those in this world and in business. So um, you want to share with our audience what you did and 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 what you did over the Labor Day weekend when while you weren't battling, battling cyber criminals or the threat thereof? Yeah. Um, so I'm in Miami and um, there's uh, Naples, which is about two hours away. And that's where some of my family members live. So. Uh, visited them and, you know, did a round town, round uh, dinner round table. And, you know, it was really, really fun. Good times. I hadn't seen um, some of them in two years. So it was really, really good that, you know, we were able to uh, just get back as a family and just, you know, break bread together. Very nice. I laid low. I stayed home. Did this? Did the staycation kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Although I, I, although I do have to say I enjoy Top Golf. I really enjoy. Oh Top yeah. Golf. I've okay. been visiting yeah. Top Golf, uh, probably way too much, but I, I, I enjoy it um, more so than golf because it doesn't take. You know, I can go to Top Golf for an hour or two. It doesn't take up four hours of my life. And right now in, in my life, I, I, four hours is a lot of time for me to do. Mm -hmm any one thing. So 
Um, <clears throat> but I have been getting on the golf course a lot more mm-hmm. than I have in the past. So that's also a good thing. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, my kid and I, we went to my, actually both my kids and my wife and I went to top golf on Sunday. And then I took my team out to top golf on Friday. Um, we, we cut all, we all cut out early on Friday and headed over to top golf for Amazing. some team building golfing. We have some good golfers and we have some really bad golfers on my, on my team here. So, um, it's a good mix of people, but we all work together. We try to help each other just like we do in the office. You know, we try the good golfers, try to help the bad golfers and mm-hmm. um, I'm in the middle. I'm sometimes I'm good and sometimes I'm bad. So, so today we're going to talk about what we got on tap today, Andre. We're going to talk about some interesting comments or insight that we got from the insurance journal about cyber insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's important for businesses to start understand the understanding why things are changing, what's changing, what's important around mm-hmm. cyber insurance. Um, and we'll go through some interesting data and comments in, in this article that I found in the insurance journal. And then we're going to jump over to this report. Um, it's kind of related to the cyber insurance, quite frankly, because it's, it's information, uh, that this threat researcher company, Kayla has observed, um, and basically doing, it sounds like a lot of the stuff that I like to do, but it seems like they do it um as as their business uh they do this threat research and cyber threat intelligence um and they and they research these dark websites right andre and you know they research all the chatter and communication that goes on out there um and the 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 difference between the dark web and um the regular web or, or the web that every the surface web the web that everybody's used to is like there's no google you can't go on the dark web and just Google and, you know, Hey, what's this hacking groups website or mm-hmm. how do I find this on the dark web? You basically need to know the address. It was, it, it was very much like that in the, you know, 19 mid nineties to late nineties where you needed to know specific addresses to get to certain things. Uh, and the dark web is very much like that. They're trying to put together search engines for the dark web. And there are some out there and there's one that I know of that's very good. Um, but if you don't know a lot of these URLs for these criminal hackers, uh, where they operate from, usually we get those through, through research. We, you know, we look at addresses that are put in ransomware notes and stuff like that. And we start to piece together where these groups are living on the dark web. But then you have these these forums and these hacking sites and things like that. And, and this this is what this group has looked at. It's looked at both the the hackers infrastructure, their websites, what they have out there, plus these kind of independent forums where hackers get together and share information. They work together on hacking or they sell their services or buy services for other specialties within the hacking realm, right? So uh, a quick example of that would be um, if I'm really good at getting into networks, I may sell my services to get into your network so you can then, you know, do what you want to do, which might be deploy ransomware or put put up some other piece of malware out there. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to dive into some really interesting data uh, and give everybody kind of a, a, a look at what goes on on the dark web and how these guys are are planning and plotting uh, to attack you. So speaking of attacks, uh, let's jump into, I'm going to share my screen here, uh, Andre, and I'm going mm-hmm. to share the, um, the cyber insurance uh, article that they have here. And uh, cyber underwriting changes is too little, too late. Well, it's never too little, too late in the, in the insurance world. They can always figure out how to make money um, as long as they can adjust. And yeah, they might be behind the eight ball a little bit, but I still think they're going into a place where they're going to remain profitable. And uh, they basically said that through 2018, cyber insurance portfolios were very profitable. Yeah. And then in 2019 and 2020, things have changed, right? Uh, and that's simply because, you know, 
my experience is is that back in 97 through 2018 you your ransom demands were a few thousand dollars if that right um you know sometimes they were 500 bucks if it was just like one computer and these guys realized that we can encrypt like a whole entire network and basically bring a business to its knees and we can ask for millions of dollars and get it um and that's when you know 2019 was the first multi-million dollar ransomware event. Um, so we're only two years into these like big ransomware number types of events. And I'm going to make another prediction. <laughs> um, we're going to go back to how it was before 2018, before this is all said and done. I think the days of, of multi-billion mil or million dollar ransom demands are coming to a swift end. Hmm. Um, and I, but I do think that businesses will still have to deal with this at a somewhat of a nuisance level, depending on your business and, and how healthy your business is. Some of these demands may seem devastating, um, but we're going to get to a point where most businesses and most insurance companies aren't going to cry foul. Um, you, and I believe that that's going to be because there's too much heat right now doing it the way that they're doing it, asking for these kinds of numbers. So I think in order for this to sustain and maintain, it will go back to, it may not go back to 500 or a thousand, but it'll go back to 10,000, 50,000. You know, I don't think we're going to see them coming out of the gate asking for millions of dollars for, unless they know they have like a massive company and they, they can get away with it and it's going to get paid. But um, I think because of the news and it being out there and people actually doing something because it's in the news is going to result in higher cyber defenses, making it harder for these guys to do this stuff. So they're going to see that not being in the news and not, you know, not their activities, not being sensationalized like they are today is going to be a better business play long term than than what we're seeing here. So that's that's just my prediction. I, I just don't see the multi-million dollar ransom demands being sustainable over a long period of time when you're irking the ire of federal government and and the the people are asking the government to do something about it when it gets to that level. You've taken it too far, but if you take it down a notch, you're going to be playing in an area where people are not going to be upset enough to where they want government intervention. And once you take that element out of it, then I think it's going to still remain a problem, a very common problem, but the numbers that they're asking for are going to come down, um, which will then allow the insurance companies to still playing the game like they want to play um, and stuff like that. So um, the interesting things that, that come out of this are um, they talk about municipalities and law firms having historically weak network security environments that can be exploited. Like the insurance industry has a, a lot of data on where the problems are. Right. And, you know me, Andre, and you know that we've kind of made the decision. We didn't kind of. I did make the decision to walk away from law firms as as somebody that we target uh, in our own business for cybersecurity. Um, it's just because they don't get it. They don't take it seriously. Um, nobody's making them do this. They're not threatened by the fact that they could... Uh, have an ethics investigation or be disbarred as a result of a cyber attack. Um, and because there's no governance or no compliance in that industry around cybersecurity, we don't see law firms engaging with cybersecurity companies at the level that we should. And the insurance industry has the data to back that up, right? right? We know municipalities are weak, right? They're government, they're, they're, you know, taxpayer funded, usually by property taxes or some kind of local tax, right? But law firms are not in that 
realm. They have the money to invest in this stuff. They don't have to go back to the to the town and and raise taxes to to pay for and afford these things. Mm-hmm. They just make a conscious decision to not invest into cybersecurity the way that you need to. Um, and I'm not calling them out. This article, the insurance industry is calling them out. I'm just using my experience and I'm saying, yeah, this is a problem over here in the law firm industry. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to back it up a little tiny because it's interesting on your opinion on um, on that, the, that the, I guess the level of um, impact that they're going to be doing the ransomware demands. But at the moment, the insurance companies are still paying, right? Yep. And, and the government, you know, they they listed the 10 or so industries or, you know, that they told the, the bad guys not to do. Um, but the way I see it, and I don't have any data to to kind of, you know, just my opinion as well, is more like they're retooling. They're, they're just going to basically refocus themselves. So like, kind of like what you said, they're going to be under the radar and they're going to be asking for demands where it's not going to be making the national headlines. But it's, but it's still going to be happening, just like if one of our customers that are just, you know, local businesses in our respective areas, they're not going to go to their local station to report this. They, they, they're just going to say, how do we do this internally so our clients don't find out? And how do we kind of just move on from it? So it's, it's, interesting, um, it's interesting what you're saying. Uh, but at the same time, I think that as long as the insurance companies are paying, that they're going to they're, they're, they're like they're not looking for new careers. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a number one, this is going away anytime soon. We're still going to see million millions of dollars in ransom demands for mm-hmm. at least the next year. But over time, as the heat gets turned up, as these cyber criminals find it more difficult to operate, and they see the attention that these types of attacks cause for them, and then they see what because look. The smaller end cyber attacks are still occurring. You're just not seeing them in the news, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they're they not just going after these big companies like Colonial Pipeline and JBS and getting paid, and that's the only people that they're hitting. They're hitting small businesses all the time. They're hitting medium-sized businesses all the time. They're not making the news. So you don't know about it. You don't hear about it, but they do it. These ransom demands are not in the millions. They're in the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. These numbers will probably come down a little bit, maybe 30, 40, 50%. But we're going to still see them in that area at a higher than higher frequency than we're seeing today. Um, And that's going to continue to happen. So then what your thoughts here on on what I brought up a a minute ago about a specific industry? Do you have do you have any insight on that? Do you agree or disagree with that? Because. I mean, that's just my own experience with, you know, getting in front of law firms, speaking to law firms. I don't know if you have a similar experience or not. Or you no, just- like, no, it's the same. They're, they're not regulated. They don't have to do anything. And then they also have to perceive that a lot of the work that they do is public records anyways, um, depending on their on their, you know, on their practice. And I get that a lot. It's like, well, everything I do, I have to upload it to the court system and just, you know, black out the social security numbers or if it's a minor, but everything else I do is public record. So it doesn't matter. And I think that's the mindset. So yeah, for us in our business, we go after um, industries that are regulated um, and therefore they, they have to, they have to do it and they have to, they have to spend the money. Right. So, and so here we have an industry, the insurance industry that collects data on businesses when you fill out an application and now they're getting these applications back and they're looking at these answers and they're going, holy crap, these law firms like do nothing for cybersecurity, right? So now the, now that coupled with the fact that they have to get involved when there's a ransomware event and it's happening in more uh, increased uh, basis and these numbers are going higher and higher, the, I guess, knee-jerk reaction or what the industry says that they're doing is you know, 10 is the new 25, meaning that if you were able to get 25 million uh, in coverage before, you're not getting it now, you're getting 10, mm-hmm. right? With the idea being that if these cyber criminals know what your uh, insurance policy is, 
then they know that they can ask for a ridiculous amount of money if you have 25 million. But if we can cap you at 10, which we will, um, you know, the likelihood of you having to pay out more than 10 million significantly goes down because you're going to tell the criminal hacker that we just don't have 25 million to give you. We can only right. give you, you know, 10. So that's one way they can drive it down. But, you know, they're going to see 10 go to five, right? Before this is all said and done. Yeah. Um, and they're already saying it. they're, you know, it's in this article where they're basically saying those limits are going to go down to 5 million, right? So, you know, if you're a business that does a million or less, why would I need five million in coverage? Yeah, you won't, right? You know, you you'd probably be good with one or two million. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing five million a year in revenue or ten million or more, that five million is not going to cover much, right? right? And that's going to probably put you out of business if that's your only option to get it, get yourself out of jail when, when, you know, the cyber criminals come banging on your door. Um, the other interesting thing that I found in this article is obviously rates are going up by 30 to 50%. They also point that out. Um, but the rate and they're going in here and they're saying the rate is not the only answer. Um, and then they dive into, you know, asking more questions. They want to know more information about your cybersecurity controls. Um, that's how they're going to make decisions on whether you get insurance or not. That's what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing today is, is they're asking these questions and either you're doing enough where we'll give you a policy or you're not doing enough and you're not getting a policy. There's no like in between, like, oh, you're doing 50% of what we need. So we're going to give you a policy, but it's going to be, you know, basically on the high end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. That's not really what's going on. The, the amount you pay is based on your, the, the risk level of, of your industry. And then whether you're doing enough or not determines whether you get a policy or not. So like, it's almost like based on your revenue size and the industry you're in, there's a, there's a fixed number for your rate for that, right? And they know what that that's going to be somewhere between this and this for this industry. Mm -hmm. And then they just look at your controls and say, okay, yes, you're doing enough or no, you're not doing enough. So you're denied the policy. You don't get a policy at all. Um, that's what they want to know, right? They want to know what you're doing, what your endpoint protection is. What, what do you have RDP open? And are, are people able to access your network through RDP? Basic stuff. But two years ago, it says right here, two years ago, we were not asking detailed questions around the flavor of endpoint protection that's being used or the degree to which RDP ports are being secured and technologies that you're using for backup. Now we are. Yeah. So they're, they're asking these questions now, but it's my opinion that they're going to be asking a hell of a lot more questions in the near future. Yeah, I, I remember about... Uh... If I take in the last two years, out of a hundred or so clients that we have, I can only think of two clients that ever sent us the questionnaire to fill out. And when I ask our clients, "Do you have a cybersecurity insurance policy?" they tell us, "Oh yeah, of course, yeah, we have it. You know, it's for X dollar amount policy." But um, and that just goes right to say, yeah, they weren't ask they weren't verifying, they weren't, they were just, they were uh, letting the end user or, the, or their client basically say we have antivirus or we have, you know, this blocked or whatever the case is. So, um, so I'm glad that they're finally doing that, but I also think they need to go a step further as we were talking earlier about um, having uh, some type of control, something, something, some type of uh, audit where the IT person is now coming in and actually certifying these answers. Yeah. I, and I, we're just not there yet with with that industry quite frankly um i've actually pitched that to several insurance companies and they kind of look at me like a deer caught in headlights because they don't really understand this they don't know the process the underwriters are giving them the process almost everybody's process looks exactly the same um and it, you know they're just getting more detail with the questions in the excel spreadsheet right and they're uh and they're um the, the questions are less free form and more, you know, hey, 
you know, the last one I saw, it was literally Excel spreadsheet, which antivirus product do you use? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a drop down and it had basically a, every major vendor's endpoint protection product in that list um, along with none. And, you know, and you, and you picked one, so they're doing their due diligence. They're figuring this stuff out, um, right. you know, and they're only going to do more. They're only going to talk to more people. They're going to learn more. They're going to understand, you know, the next I'm, I'm telling you right now, the writing's on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the FBI, we covered it in the podcast uh, last week where the FBI comes out with their, you know, kind of like get ready for the weekend. Here's what you should do. But the first thing that they had was a whole section, a few paragraphs before all the recommendations on threat hunting. Right. Right. And then insurance companies are going to be like, what kind what are you doing for threat hunting? Right. Right. And like businesses don't, aren't going to know what threat hunting is. They're not going to know how, how to do it and if, what it's doing for them. Um, and that's really where this stuff is going. So is there anything else in the article that, that, I mean, it's a fairly long and in-depth article. Um, is there anything else that you picked up out of here that you think would be yeah. um, important? Yeah, I had highlighted it on my site, so I'll just read it. It says, when you think about how a sprinkler system is mandatory in order to get homeowners insurance, then we as a cyber market need to determine if the minimum requirement for cyber insurance is close, you know, X, Y, Z, RDP. Is it multi-factor? What are those requirements? So that was an interesting um, uh, thing that he mentioned. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just getting crazy. It's You know, they're, 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 they're at a loss here. I mean, when you have these professionals out here going, there needs to be a better way, a different way, maybe looking at cryptocurrency exchanges, right? Now, here we go. Blaming, blaming the cryptocurrency exchanges or saying like, oh, th- you know, there's a way that we can stop the bleeding here if we regulate, you know, uh, crypto payments. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've said a million times, they're, they'll just find a different way to get paid. Right. Right. So it, 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 you know, the, the, this problem will continue to exist until people start doing the right thing around cybersecurity and implementing frameworks and doing things the right way and not being called out by the insurance industry like the law industry is being called out in this article that you're just not doing enough across the board to... Uh, to secure yourselves and you're going to continue to have to deal with ransomware as a result. So I think this is a good segue to get into this Kayla uh, report that we discovered, which has a lot of good information about um, what, what the uh, bad guys are doing on the dark web. I wanted to blow through some of this with you, Andre, Mm -hmm. and talk about some of these things, because I think this is all related to cyber insurance, right? This is all related to, what they're looking to do, how they're looking to achieve things, what you need to be doing in your business, you know, on the defensive side to deal with a lot of these things. Um, But a lot of these things that we're going to talk about are the reason that companies are going to need to fall to cyber insurance uh, when there's a problem. So first thing comes up um, in July, 2021, Kayla found 48 active threads where actors claim they're looking to buy different kinds of accesses. 46% of them were created in that month, illustrating the demand for access listings, right? So these are, these are ransomware people who are looking for people with access, right? Um, And I don't know if this is going to go into say it in this article at all, but I'm starting to see posts on the dark web where they're looking for let's call them unengaged employees, employees Mm -hmm. at companies that, you know, don't value their paycheck that much to the point where they're willing to sell out and, you know, work with these criminals on getting ransomware onto your company's network. Mm -hmm. Um, They're, they are the, the traditional path was that you hook up with another cyber criminal who was good at breaking into people's networks or sending phishing campaigns um, and getting, you know, people to click on those and getting in that way. But now we're seeing like just shrewd, you know, ransomware groups posting on the dark web saying, hey, look, if you work for a company 
and you want to deploy our ransomware, we'll hook we'll hook up with you and we'll give you a cut. Right. Which is absolutely insane. So 40% of the actors who were looking to buy access were identified as active participants in the ransomware as a service supply chain. So this is something we've known about for a long time. Um, you know, ransomware as a service where you have, you know, operators, affiliates, and middlemen. Um, and then he goes on to say ransomware attackers appear to form industry standards defining an ideal victim based on its revenue, geography, and excluding certain sectors and countries from its target list. We're going to show you some stuff down below that's really interesting around that. But it says, on average, the actors active, active in July aim to buy access to U.S. companies with revenue of more than $100 million U.S. dollars, and almost half of them refuse to buy access to companies from healthcare and education industries. I mean, that's not reassuring. That's half. So the other half are. Right. Uh, ransomware attackers are ready to buy all kinds of network access with RDP and VPN being the most basic requirement. The most common products mentioned were Citrix. I see that all the time, to be honest with you. Palo Alto, VMware, Fortinet, and Cisco. We'll talk about why that is in a few minutes. Ransomware attackers are ready to pay for access up to $100,000 US, with most actors setting the boundaries at half that price of $56,250. We needed that extra... 6250 in there. Um, the similarities between ransom-related actor requirements for victims and access listings and conditions for IABs illustrate that RAS operations act just like corporate enterprises. Well, I've been saying that forever. Yeah. Um, these are well-run businesses, well, more better run than a lot of MSPs that I know. Um, any, any comments there before we dive into the, kind of the data and the charts here? Any any Anything that strikes you that you want to comment on? It's interesting that they mentioned that uh, well, half is, is avoiding healthcare and education, but we've actually seen so much articles about healthcare and education being half. So well, I guess that's just saying that half of them have some kind of morals uh -huh. and standards where the other half don't. So I don't know how reassuring that is. There's probably you know, quite a few tens of thousands of hackers, right? So yeah. you still have tens of thousands of hackers that don't subscribe to that and will hack anybody. Yeah. So this is, I love this right here. I'm going to try to make this bigger so it shows up on the screen so people can see this. Ideal ransomware victims based on the threads in active threads in 2021. I agree with this 100%. Based in the U.S., mm -hmm. has more than 100 million USD, is not from education, healthcare, government, or nonprofit sectors. Uh, most wanted access type RDP, VPN products from Citrix, Palo Alto Networks, VMware, Fortinet, and Cisco. For such access, ransomware attackers are ready to pay up to 100,000. And then it says it's the 56,250s, the average. Oh, this is such good information. Mm -hmm. So you United States businesses, you are the target, right? It doesn't matter how big you are. It, it's here in black and white. You are the target. And they, they'll hit other countries, you know, Eastern European countries and things like that. And other countries around the world. It seems that a lot of these Russian countries, for whatever reason, there's actually code written into the ransomware that if you have like a Russian keyboard installed, it won't deploy the ransomware um, or you have a Russian language installed, it won't deploy the ransomware. So here you have it that they want U.S. based companies. hundred More than 100 million in revenue. What are your thoughts here on this, Andre? Well, it goes back to what we're saying. They're they're going for the big hitters because they know they there's a large insurance policy that they can tap into. Right. So, if I do under a hundred million, should I feel good about this? Should I? Oh no, of course not. No, because they're at the target. <laughs> I was just explaining why the hackers are going after the one hundred million. But yeah, if you're more than hundred million, you definitely are a target. You have you know hundred. You you probably have at least what, a thousand or more computers, I would imagine, for the amount of employees for, to make that type of revenue. 
So you're a big target because um, your infrastructure is bigger. You may have more legacy systems. Um, there's supply chains. Like there's so many more variables that they can get you on. Do you think it's that? Do you think it's partly because they believe that these companies are so big that they can't pay attention to everything that they have out there. So they're easier to break into. They're easier to attack than say, you know, a $5 million business. It, I I don't want to say they can't pay attention. Um, I, I just think that it's just, it may be too big for that IT director to manage. He may not have the right budget. Um, there's just so much more moving wheels um, versus a $5 million company. So they want more, they want companies with more than hundred million in revenue. I'm going to, we obviously it's pretty straightforward. They don't want education, healthcare, government, nonprofit, you know, that's only half of them though. So we know, mm-hmm. you know, there's half them out there that will, you know, hit those kind of companies. And that's why we see them getting hit. Uh, I would have to say healthcare, government and education are right up there with the top ones that get hit. Not nonprofits, they get hit, but not as much as some of the other private sectors that we see, but education all the time from K-12 all the way through college. I think Howard university got hit over the labor day weekend. I think that made the news a little bit, but that wasn't um, a major cyber attack in my opinion. Um, But here's the interesting one. Most access is most act wanted access type. They want RDP. They want VPN for specific products: Citrix, Palo Alto, VMware, Fortinet, and Cisco. What are your thoughts here? Why these products, especially with these larger organizations that may not be upgrading their their routers, their switches on a on a you know on a regular cycle? They're more than likely have firmware that the IT staff have not updated. And because, and we know Citrix has a lot of, a lot of products for one thing, and they're constantly being attacked and constantly realizing that they have bugs. And um, essentially, if the IT staff is not updating the, the software on, of the, on these devices, they're now um, going to get attacked. So I have, I have two perspectives I want to share here with this. Okay. Number one being that I agree hundred percent with everything that you said there. Number two, Citrix is definitely the most targeted thing by cyber criminals that I'm aware of. These guys are constantly banging on the door of Citrix, trying to figure out how to break into that thing, exploit vulnerabilities, discover new vulnerabilities. It's probably the number one pen tested application that lives out there in my opinion um the other interesting thing that i find out that i that i find interesting about these products are these are right in line with the products that are most popular in that 100 million dollar range which tells me that these guys have done their homework they know the products that their target market uses in the same way that an MSP or a cybersecurity company would look at the products that their market implements so they can manage and support and secure them. These guys are looking at it from the angle of what products do these companies use that I can exploit, that I can take advantage of. They're the same products. They're the same ones. Um, you know, the same ones that, that everybody uses. Right. So, you know, that's, what's interesting to me. Right. Cause you know, uh, I would say the MSP space has what's known as the channel. Right. And we know right. the vendors and products that play in that channel. And quite frankly, some of these vendors that we're looking at right here have MSP specific products um, that they only sell to MSPs, right? And that you can't buy them in the mid or enterprise level. Um, and that's where that's what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at, okay, these guys know what products this market uses. Because if, 
if we were saying they, they're targeting businesses that are between 5 million and 50 million, you'd see a different set of products there, in my opinion, than what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, because these middle market companies, they use Citrix, they use Palo Alto, like out the wazoo. Um, VMware, Fortinet, I was actually surprised to see that there. Um, Cisco, obviously, you know, is obviously has a huge target on their back based on they're, they're pretty much at every level. They're, they're an SMB, they're mid market, they're, they're an enterprise. So, um, you know, interesting stuff. I don't, the hundred thousand dollar thing here at the end. Um, I think if you're getting into a hundred million dollar company, the minimum you could kick somebody is a hundred thousand. So I don't know how they they're pulling that number. They're probably just pulling it from, from the, what, like what they're advertising. Right. So we'll, we'll pay you up to a hundred thousand, but who knows what's really being paid for access. But, but that's great margins because if you have a five million dollar ransom attack and it, it only costs you, you know, fifty grand, that's like uh, <laughs> that's like one percent or something. It's really really small. Yeah, I mean th- these guys down here are selling themselves short if they're only charging fifty six for, you know, access to a hundred million dollar network. I know um, mastermind group they can join. <laughs> <laughs> Active threads of initial access buyers in July of 2021. So created in July of 2021, we're almost half. Right? So mm-hmm. this shows you the activities going up. 54% existed. So of everything that was there, half of it was created in July of 2021 compared to everything before that. So that's a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. Right. So you would think, right. If you think about this, Andre, this isn't, this is a leading indicator. Like when you look at this kind of stuff and that's, this is kind of how we look at things. If you start to see July, 2021 requests for more access, right. We want, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're putting out posts or threads about initial access that is increased, right? So now they want this activity is increased. You got to think that it's going to take some time for this to mature through and for them to get access to these networks. Yeah. So this started in July. When do they start to reap what they sowed in July, right? Does it start in September? Does it start in October, November, December? You know, maybe it takes six months. It'll be interesting to see the correlation between this number in July and when, you know, we start to see attacks creep up again. And remember, we know that it's usually they're in the systems for 120 days before they they do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, that's so, um, so let's go. Access. So they're saying I'm looking for is you know, this is everything that you're seeing out on these threads, right? Mm-hmm. Buying access to corporations. I will buy access, buy access. We want your access. We want to buy access. And that's the access is getting tougher. Absolutely. Cause people are getting smarter to it. They're not leaving their RDP open like they were before. So we're making access more difficult. You know, access is also becoming more difficult because companies are getting on board with security and awareness training and, and, and employees are, know what to click on and what not to click on. But access isn't going away because your employees, if you don't treat them well, if you don't pay them well, you're going to see those types of things becoming an issue for companies uh, in the future. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. And I I would even say this could even be where it's a leaked password. So I'm the, I mean, it's kind of stupid to do it, but I would basically be, if I was this untrusted employee, I'm basically selling my username, my password. So the question now, maybe we could talk about for a moment is let's just say someone does sell an employee, a rogue employee sells their access. What can, what can a business owner do to like, to, 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 to not say monitor, but to, um, like once the bad guy gets the information, is there anything that now can be done that a business owner should have in place that could potentially um, uh, thwart that? Mm-hmm. 
So I'm looking at this. I'm looking at what I'm reading up on the screen here. Can you see this? Yeah, yeah. So somebody, so we're we're all we we know what these things are called. So do you remember the um, the Microsoft Exchange issue where they were able to put these shells on what were called shells on Microsoft Exchange servers that were exposed to the web? Yes. Somebody's asking, like, why are why why are shells mostly used, right? Like what, what, what are people, what are they using shells for? Right. And it says it right here. So you can deploy info stealing malware to inject malicious scripts into websites, uh, cryptocurrency mining, spam and phishing campaigns. So they use web shells. Like you're why it's important to make sure that things like your Microsoft exchange, when Microsoft comes out and says, hey, your Microsoft Exchange has a vulnerability and you need to patch it. The question shouldn't be, can, well, can I get ransomware? No, well, no, you can't get ransomware, so I'm not going to patch. That shouldn't be the decision making. They will use these shells to do other things so they can get access to your network, right? And then once they have access, they can sell the access to your network to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's kind of what they go on and explain here. Um, so 40% of the analyzed threads were created by actors related to RAS supply chain operators, affiliates, or middlemen. So just, you know, Russian, Russian speaking, they're just trying to get, um, you know, this is, see, see how you see, see right here, it says Zoom revenue. That's Zoom mm-hmm. info. Mm-hmm. You have like subscriptions to Zoom info. And USA, Canada, Australia, Great Britain, right? These are the companies. Uh, they, they'll do all areas except medicine and state institutions. Um, you know, and they'll buy from 3000 to 100 k We take it to work. Uh, and then, you know, this is all how they communicate, all how they find people, and they just need to find somebody. And then... Active threats, U.S. forty almost half of the threats are U.S. and then the rest are spread out between Canada, Australia, and Europe. So revenue, they go into talking about you know these are real messages, um, how you're going to get paid. They'll 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 tell you you know what they'll pay you. Um, we buy VPN, RDP, Citrix access with domain admin rights. Mm-hmm. So they want full access. They don't want you just to give them something where they have to then get further access. They want full access. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the blacklist, blacklisted sectors, blacklisted countries. Um, I don't know if they have... Uh, Yeah, we do not work in RU. So Russian Uh is is mainly. Um, So some of them, others countries men unwanted include South America and third world countries, most likely due to low chance of getting financial gain. Um, So so mitigation measures for enterprise defenders. And this is and this is good. So they go into how do we how do we deal with this? Um, And this is more for the enterprise. Uh, so cybersecurity awareness training, that's for any, whether you're in enterprise or small business, regular vulnerability monitoring and patching to continually protect their entire network. Very important to do. I think most companies are probably only doing this at the operating system level. It needs to be done at every level. Uh, and, you know, all your devices, everything that you have plugged into your network needs to be updated uh, and targeted and automated monitoring of key assets to immediately detect threats emerging from the cybercrime and underground ecosystem. Um, that can look that can be a lot of different things, but knowing what what where what traffic your network is communicating with, and if that traffic is potentially talking to some kind of um, you know Tor site or or some kind of you know known malware or bad actor site. Um, there's services and there's and there's uh, things out there that you can use to monitor this stuff either on your firewall or in other places, um, but not monitoring it. I think we're we're not in that world anymore where you can just plug you know a firewall in and not 
monitor at some level where the traffic's going and making sure it's going to legitimate places versus illegitimate places. So mm-hmm. anything you want to wrap, wrap up with and share here, Andre? Um, a lot of data here. No, a lot of data. And just, um, I mean, I, I just go back to that July thing. I think that's that was an eye opener of, of how it's in the next X amount of months. It's like they're they're getting their call centers ready and, you know, getting their ducks in a row um, to, to start something. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show you that I mean, maybe it's a sign of desperation for access, maybe. But I don't think that these guys will have much trouble pivoting to how they get access. Right. You know, they have a lot of different tools in their chest to gain access, whether it be through brute force, uh, stolen credentials, phishing, malware, exploitable products like Microsoft Exchange, where they're able to dump a web shell into and then maintain persistent access. Um, And then just hiring your employees to Mm -hmm. give them the access that they want. That's the next flavor of this. This is going to be something and God knows when in six months, nine months that we're going to hear of a major ransomware attack. Uh, and Tesla's already stopped two employees from being compromised in this manner. And, wow. You know, that, you know, that's, that was probably in the news about a year ago or so. Um, so it's only a matter of time before the employees become part of this attack chain. There's already a work. Isn't that called corporate espionage? Espionage? In a way, yeah. I look at corporate espionage as more or less other companies spying on mm. other companies okay. for what okay. they're doing. Um, but, I, you know, it's extortion at the end of the day because yeah. that employee is going to be extorted, you know, if they even get paid. So, all right, brother. Oh, Randy, Randy, we miss you. Hope you're feeling yeah. better. Yeah. Our, 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 uh, our third leg on our stool here is is missing today. As you know, Mr. Randy Bryan um, could not join us today. He's not feeling well, so we wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully, uh, it's just a, a little cold, uh, nothing major. So right. anything else you want to share with the uh, audience before we wrap up today, Andre? Nope, nope. We're good, man. All right. Thanks, everybody. Remember, share the show. Stay safe out there. Do all the things we uh, we pointed out in here. Remember, the attackers are coming for you. We just showed you the data. So uh, be safe. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye.